you're listening to episode 24 of Alexa in Canada, the voice experience. She's got, She's skills. got skills. My name's Terry Fisher, and here's the deal. Voice technology is changing so fast, and I'm trying my best to keep up with it. I'm here to learn everything I can about Alexa, so you and I can figure her out, and so we can make our lives more organized, relaxed, stress-free, and even have some fun. Let's learn some skills. Hey there, and welcome to episode 24 of the podcast. I'm so glad that you're joining me today. Today, we have an incredible guest joining us. His name is Dr. Matt Sabolsky, and he is a behavioral economist and psychologist, and he is a thought leader when it comes to behavioral changes and voice technology. He is a well-known speaker. He has spoken at the Alexa conference. He will be speaking at the Voice of Healthcare Summit coming up in Boston at Harvard Medical School. He is one of the co-hosts of the Voice of Healthcare podcast, and he is the founder and chief consultant of Ionia Behavioral Insights. I could go on and on about uh, this man's accolades, but uh, I'm going to stop there, and when you hear him speak, you'll see just uh, how much insight he has into behavioral changes and specifically how that relates to technology. We get into all types of uh, topics today. We do talk about the concepts of behavioral change. We talk about how um, technology and voice-first devices can influence the behavioral change, particularly in the healthcare sector when we're talking about patients or healthcare providers. We talk about privacy uh, and the issues surrounding that. Matt gives us some really great examples of some fascinating projects that are going on in the healthcare and voice-first technology sphere. Uh, And we even get a little bit philosophical towards the end about, you know, what's the future going to be like in terms of voice-first technology? So we cover a lot here, and uh, it's an absolutely, in my opinion, fascinating discussion, and I hope that you will enjoy it. So without any further ado, I want to welcome Dr. Matt Sabolsky. So welcome, Dr. Sabolsky. Matt Sabolsky, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Hey, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me so much. My my pleasure. So we have a lot to chat about, but I think first off, it would be great if you can uh, introduce yourself a little bit to our listeners and tell them a little about what you do and uh, and then maybe how you got into this voice first space. Yeah, Terry, I am uh, pleased to be on the show. I'm pleased to be speaking to your Canadian audience I will say as a disclaimer, I am a descendant of Canadians from Manitoba, all right. the Sapolsky and Gosnowski families out of <laughs> wow, all right. Selkirk, just uh, outside of Winnipeg. So I, if anyone from that region is listening, then, then this is uh, relevant to you in really important ways. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's a great shout out to the Manitobans listening here. My family left Canada and moved to Alabama. Uh, which was interesting, right? Like really far away, um, totally different culture. I grew up in Canada. I'm excuse me. I grew up in Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, and long story short of it, I'm a, a behavioral economist. So I studied as a psychologist, mm-hmm. and I focused a lot of my research exclusively on persuasion and influence. Uh, originally started working in healthcare finance in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, and recognized that people didn't understand anything about the care that was levied towards them or how much it cost or how much they owed. Sure. So um, I was uh, working for a large uh, firm in the United States, and I asked the senior vice president if I could 
uh, study this in depth with a with a PhD. He said, "Go for it." I was a medical school professor for a couple years, okay, yeah. uh, working in safety and quality. Uh, but I did a lot of work, really, kind of like working with um, groups of physicians and caregivers. Uh, how do we approach patients when we need to modify their care, or how do we prov- uh, approach providers when we ask them to change their care? Sure. So that was a really interesting experience. Really good leaders, really good clinicians there at UAB School of Medicine. Um, I left there and went on to uh, work with a large consultancy, learned a lot about how you deliver work and how you convince leaders to um, work with you as a collaborator, right? So like bringing this new idea of patient engagement to leaders was kind of radical at that time. And it wasn't long ago, but, you know, I was taking this idea away from like totally spreadsheet driven costs. Yeah moving towards behaviorally informed approaches of delivery of care. So how do we get a patient endowed to your clinic? How do we really get someone who has out-of-control hypertension to think about their BMI and their diabetes? Is it really just the drugs they're on alone? Or do we need to think about the relationships they have with the clinicians and with the organization itself or even with their family Hmm. um, before they make any change whatsoever? I'm winding around here, but the long story short of it is I'm devoted myself uh, and my research and my practical experience um, to transforming the patient engagement roles that we traditionally know in in Western healthcare. Uh Uh, Technology can help us do that. In fact, I think technology takes us closer to the one-to-one caregiver-provider relationship that we started with in medicine. That's interesting. So, so with the well, let's get into that then. So, technology, the one-to-one relationship. That was yeah. uh, that was a perfect little segue there to get into the to the voice yeah. first uh, era here that we're we're entering. So, let's hear your thoughts on that. So, how how can you take this this training, this this experience that you have now, and help people to change their behaviors and maybe use the voice technology as a tool to do that? Uh, so, one of the challenges that I think we all face uh, if you're working in healthcare is we get these sort of um, uh, intermediate and singular experiences with patient and provider. You know, I've got an appointment with Dr. Fisher and he says, man, I want you to uh, come back and visit me. I want you to lose 10 pounds. Well, I come back and I haven't lost 10 pounds. And you ask me, well, why not? You know, what have you done differently? Well, you know, you weren't there coaching me, you know, Dr. Terry. (laughs) As much as I'd love to be there every minute of the day for every patient. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Not going to happen. (laughs) You weren't there to tell me not to eat my chicken nuggets and my Coca-Colas and uh, go to bed on time and stay hygienic and um, all those things. So, you know, technology to me bridges this gap of time that I don't get with Dr. Fisher. Mm -hmm. Um, What it does is it creates an algorithm that speaks to me that I can speak to it. If we're looking at voice tech, for example, it's not technical, you know, it, it just needs to connect at the house and I speak to it mm-hmm. and the technology and the development of that interface is really up to the, of the developers and programmers and the creators like you and I. Um, but that sort of con- continuity, uh, replaces those hours out of the year that you and I aren't together mm-hmm. um, and creates a system in which, um, I'm a little bit more engaged as a patient secondarily to that. Um, because we're moving to this direction where we can speak to make the computer or the mobile device do what we need it to do, right. um, you know, when you're examining me, you can be speaking aloud like you would be without the technology there and it's all recorded. Uh, perhaps 
uh, in some future time, and I know people are working on this, um, the voice language that's uh, overheard is coded into your uh, EMR as your note. Mm -hmm. So at night when you come home, you're with your family. You're not writing your notes in the EMR, which I know, I don't know about Canada, but the United States is a huge issue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it lets you, as a provider, let you really focus on thinking about what the problem is, mm-hmm. not not inputting data into an EMR, um, not worrying about your risk so much because that's that's handled. Mm-hmm. And 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 on top of that, when that engagement occurs, when when that hands-on moment happens, that's really not magic. It's just human nature. Yeah. Um, but we know uh, from you know um, history that um, human connectivity and emotional integration and care Mm -hmm. uh, can accelerate healing, can sustain healing. Um, And that momentum can be taken into the home and not lost with tools like the Alexa or the Google uh, home uh, where the patient can interact and be prompted. Did you take meds today? Don't eat that hamburger today, man. On top of that, it connects me as a patient. Let's say I have a chronic illness. It connects me to other people that have my disease. It creates a community for me where I can reach out and say, hey, I'm not feeling great. I'm kind of depressed about this disability or this disease. I don't really know how to handle this moment I'm in. Maybe there's someone else out there I can speak to. It's huge power. It's right. massive power. Uh, and it's built into a simple tool. That Yeah, and that, even you've summed that up really nicely. I, As the listeners know, and as you know, I, I mean, I, I'm relatively new to this voice-first tech space. And just in the last, you know, I don't know what it's been now, five months or so, five, six months, you know the the it's so new in Canada, and yet the potential is so immense. Like I, uh, I, I I can't remember a, a a time, at least in my career, where I see s- the possibility of such a shift in the way that not I mean not only healthcare but in all sectors, the way things are going to just totally transform with this voice technology. And like you like you described, I can imagine a time when we've got an Alexa device, an Echo Dot, or whatever it is in the home, and that basically is like your your healthcare navigator um, and right. sort of walking you through and guiding you through what you need to be healthy and providing care and so on. Um, and I'd be curious, like now I know you've, you've been in this space for more time than I have for sure. A number of years, if I'm not mistaken, um, doing this, what are some projects or some things that you're aware of that, um, that people are doing that are helping to, to um, maybe they're not quite ready for market yet, but are, are in development and that sort of thing. You know, um, when it comes to what you were speaking about with uh, Canadian healthcare, for sure, you know, in-home compliance tools I think are a really kind of easy fruit to be had. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, complex care uh, occurs a lot of times when we have exacerbations. Um, preventing an exacerbation mm-hmm. leads to greater quality of life, but secondarily to that, it also reduces expenditure. So, in a system like the Canadian system, that's a, that's a double whammy. That's great. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. Let's say uh, the politicians and the voters both say, Hey, we like this idea. We don't mind having a tool like this in the home. Yeah. Um, you know, some analogs that I know of, um, are just regarding like opiate addiction, for example. Mm-hmm. So, um, you can create a, a, a voice language tool, uh, post surgery uh-huh. to someone who's been, uh, who's been prescribed opiates and ask them their pain rating. And before, they are ever near, um, you know, uh, dependency or addiction levels with those opiates, the tool can start encouraging them to stop taking the med, you know, day two, how's your pain? Oh, less than a three out of 10. 
all right, take some ibuprofen today and a heating pad and take a nap. You're going to feel uh-huh. a lot better. You don't need the opiates anymore. In fact, take it to your pharmacy. And, and in fact, we've, we've notified the healthcare facility and the pharmacy that you're coming in the next 24 hours to get rid of that drug. And That's then you keep staying. Huh. You can call it pounding. I like to call it nudging. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's a that's I know that's a real development that's occurred. In fact, um, there's a really talented medical medical student out of uh, who had a fellowship at Harvard. Who's he's now at University of Michigan. That's working on that, and he's also uh, trying to connect to the Michigan legislature to get that out and about to all people who have surgery um, post discharge to go home with a. Um, signed up for a program like that. But I mean, you could think about extensions, uh, simple ones all throughout the Canadian system to be able to do that. It doesn't have to be terribly complex and be really simple stuff. Like don't forget to take your pill post MI every day, uh-huh. which is, I don't know, in Canada, the United States, the statistic is terrible for people when they go home on discharge from having a stent from an MI, yep. they don't take statins, like 40% compliance. You know, you, you have this, this very, near uh critical event in your life but because of modern technology we kept we kept you alive we stented you protected your heart you you don't have you know a lot of muscle fiber death Uh, all you gotta do is take this pill every day it's going to control your hdl ldl triglycerides and then they go home and they put it in the shelf and they they ignore it so having (laughs) you know having a tool that says hey um you can't turn the tv on today until you take that pill and then tell me you've taken the pill I mean, something like that, you know, you've got to create these uh, incentives for people, but um, having a voice at the home, even better yet, what if Terry Fisher himself uh, recorded like, you know, 10,000 words in different inflections yeah. and then that patient went home and they heard your voice. Right. And then when that patient woke up in the morning, it was greeted by the Alexa with your voice that said, <laughs> hey, good morning, this is Dr. Fisher. I want to remind you, take your statin this morning before you do anything else. Have a great day. Let me know if you need something. That's you know, great. That, that's powerful stuff right there. Yeah. So, you know, it's very interesting that you mentioned that. I was uh, part of um, sort of a health tech uh, incubator weekend thing here. And we, we, uh, we for fun, we, uh, we, got, we, we formed a team and uh, with some computer scientists. And it was just a weekend sort of brainstorming. And we wanted to see if we could cool. come up with a proof of concept idea. And the idea was to create uh, an Alexa health assistant. That Specifically, this one was geared towards medication adherence. So the idea was that it would um, be reminding potentially an elderly woman who's living on her own. This was our case scenario. An elderly woman living on her own who needs some help with her medication reminders, but she's still living independently. Um, and we used my mother as, as sort of the case scenario. <laughs> and what great. we did was we recorded my son, so my mom's grandson, providing words of encouragement when she oh. took the medication. I love it. So it was a connection to the family. It made it really personal. And you know, and if Alexa asked her, did you take your medication? And she said, yes. Then my son's voice was heard and said, way to go, grandma. I'm so proud of you. Keep it up. And if she didn't take it, he'd say, hey, grandma, it's not too late. Go take your medication. That's good. And That's uh, that, that part got the biggest sort of reaction from the crowd at the end when we, when we did that. And it was a lot of fun. So um, yeah, see, that's the thing you can really do with this that is unprecedented, I think, in, in leveraging care, which is um, really stimulating human emotion. Yeah. You know, human emotion uh, is not, not taught. It's innate. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, um, it, it's an incredible healer by itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, sitting with a little sadness so you don't fall into depression instead of avoiding it. Mm-hmm. Um, enjoying a celebration moment in your life. 
uh, allowing yourself to fall in love. These things, uh, as well as connections to other people, um, are really a harbinger of change for how people can take care of themselves. It's a self. It's a, really a self-management sea change um, for the patient in the home, um, and and we're really just at the beginning of that. I mean, uh, you know, some people in sci-fi movies and narratives point to these nefarious uses of of hearing um, a voice that's that's similar to you, like a maternal voice. The famous example is um, in Terminator Two. You remember that movie, Terminator Two? Yeah. Yep. Um, so the young boy is on the phone and he's with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh-huh. His Terminator body, yeah. and he's talking to it, what he thinks is his mother, <laughs> and and he, she keeps saying, "Come home, I really miss you. Dinner's ready." Uh-huh. And you know the young boy puts his hand over the mic and says to Arnold Schwarzenegger, "She's being too nice. This isn't my mother." Uh-huh. Well, the scene cuts, and what you find out is that uh, the Terminator that had come to kill the young boy and the Schwarzenegger Terminator had morphed into this boy's mother right. and it killed the father and was waiting on, you know, John Connor to come home to be murdered. Right. Um, it's an example of how, how strong a voice can be to us and our influence, our persuasion, our moment, um, uh, motivating us to keep trying. I mean, uh, it's powerful stuff, but we're just at the edge of that. Meaning, um, it's not to say that we can't record voices and then replicate them in a way uh, that's useful for patients, that's useful for caregivers, um, that gives you a little bit of extra energy or that little extra nudge you need uh, to stay, stay consistent. Um, let's be honest, you know, taking care of yourself when you're sick is a labor. Uh, it takes time and um, the support you get, the return on the investment, for lack of a better term, on developing these kinds of tools yeah. where patients' emotions are kind of ignited. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I can't really think of something more exciting that we're right on the precipice of right now. It reminds me a lot of being a young boy and getting my first desktop computer, uh-huh. yeah. and, uh, having the modem come on and going to a website. Yeah. And I remember everyone said websites are it. That's just, this is the, the end all be all of technology. We've hit a plateau and a pinnacle of human <laughs> The future of voice will be different than you and I are predicting now, but it is a change in how we interact with the physical form of software. Uh, who knows, maybe even typing in the future is going to be something that's seen as being archaic. Um, but, you know, until that time, I'm really excited to see what the creators do. You know, me as a psychologist, you as a physician, we are the graphic artists of today that the 90s were when websites were being first created. Mm-hmm. Uh, the demand for what we can create as far as modifying behavior and doing so with clinically appropriate um, and uh, efficient accurate tool sets um, is uh, uh, really a, a tantamount to um, success of healthcare as we move forward in time. Yeah, it's really, it's, yeah, well said. It's, it's absolutely amazing. What are, you know, t- tapping into your, your behavioral change experience. So, I mean, we talked a little bit about this already in terms of what are things that would motivate somebody to, to interact with this device and yeah. you know, the, the voice, obviously like a family member, a grandson, your own physician's voice. Are there other things that, that, you know that I don't know if there are best practices yet in this field, but are there other things that you think are emerging as what are the, the, the things that people need to consider when they want to have a device that's, that's going to create some motivation for a person? It can't be just regulated to um, healthcare use, for example. Um, I think that's the beauty of these things. Like um, if it's integrated into my daily life where I don't really think about it, 
um, that's when the healthcare uh, benefit becomes really useful, right? So if I wake up in the morning and I get my news from the Alexa, it tells me the weather. It also gives me a calendar for the day. Maybe reminds me to buy milk on my way home from work. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something that's in my day to day. Okay, mm-hmm. um, it out in a special way to say what health things do I need to pay attention to today? It's part of the continuity of my life. It's built into my normal mundane day. You know, Charlotte Bronte, I think, said, nothing's more difficult to bear than the succession of fair days. Hmm. Um, this yeah. tool needs to be just part of a fair day. I think if you make it too explicit, if you make it too intensive to use, uh, you're missing the point. Mm-hmm. It, it needs to be fluid. It needs to be prompting me to be involved in it because I use it for all kinds of things in my day to day. Interesting. I think that's a re- to me that's a really important kind of like concept people tend to miss. You know, like that's where the website sort of struggles because I've got to go to the website. Right. You know, I've got to physically go to it and think about it before I do that. Uh, Alexa knows when I walk into the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd say, "Hey, I'm over here. Pick me up." Play with me with all kinds of other things that you have going on. And by the way, take your statin. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, no, that's great. So, I mean, obviously there's some limitations now with what Amazon will allow with Alexa. Um, like, because, mm-hmm. and they're starting to, you know, have the notifications and that sort of thing. But that was one of the big obstacles that came up when I, again, going back to this weekend that I was, you know, we were thinking in order for, for this to be really valuable and to help somebody to remember to take their medications, we, we thought, well, that right now, how do you do that when Alexa can't initiate a conversation with a person um and i don't know if you have any insight into that or or ways around that but i'd be very curious to hear that yeah you know we use a lot of uh text prompts you know you can set up um a texting prompt that uh, let's say sends me a text and says hey go tell the alexa you took your med okay Uh, type type yes when you've done so or when they go do so you can actually connect on the back end the Alexa with the texting response through a server uh, service called Twilio, uh-huh. um, and it can it can it can act like a uh, confirmation for the action. But that's actually uh, something that I remember reading that's actually coming soon to the Alexa, which is prompting you um, uh-huh. use it. Which uh, you know I think they've got to be careful with that. Yeah. I mean, there's fatigue there, right? Like. I don't look at all the notifications on my cell phone. My cell phone's turned into this like interruption box, right? Uh, if I'm not careful with it, and um, I think the benefit, the um, the uh, marquee of these tools, these voice tools, will die uh, if it's so annoying that I put it in a closet or bury it in the backyard. Yeah, and oh, I agree. I, I, there's going to be a fine balance there um, between how. You know, how useful is this device and when does it cross the line from being useful to just being intrusive and annoying? Um, yeah. And right. um, I don't know. I don't know where you, where is that balance, but I'm sure we're going to find out sooner rather than later. So, yeah, I think the consumer will drive that. You know, mm-hmm. like I think you'll see at some level like what the tolerance of the consumer is for this. In fact, um, you know, I hearken back to the movie Her. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember the device he had and how – small and sort of like minimalistic it seemed it's because it was so driven heavily by language ah. it wasn't that 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 screen interface wasn't the primary use of that tool um i mean if you think about these things terry uh it's going to change the even the physical format of what we carry around with us to use technology with right 
Right. It's a fascinating outcome. But yeah, the prompting um, has to be done around, you know, sort of a circumvent. Mm-hmm. But same token, you know, maybe these voice tools bring us back to a little bit more authentic human relationships that we've we've lost because we are stuck into a screen. That's interesting. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like if you overhear me and I'm okay with that, I really, I, personally, I'm okay with it. Uh, of course, you know, there's no way for me to predict that in 10 years what I say now or believe now won't be problematic. Mm-hmm. There's no way for me to know. Right. I mean, I do value privacy, but in the long, I mean, what I'm getting, I'm going down a tangent. What I'm trying to say here is, um, you know, if I'm okay with it overhearing me and interacting because of what it hears or hears you say, maybe in this conversation, mm-hmm. and sets up things for me, notifications or orders food or, you know, buys me a book based yeah. on, you know, our conversation. Yeah. If it allows me to be closer to you in real time where I'm not thinking about the next meeting, yeah. responding to that text message, yeah. uh, just figuring out what the buzz was in my pocket. Yeah. I think humans actually might really appreciate the movement in voice tech because we're connecting in a way that we might have forgotten how to do in the last 20 years. Yeah, no, very, very interesting. So you, you mentioned a, a key word there, the privacy oh. issue. And, oh. um, you know, we, we've been talking a lot about obviously very intimate things, people's health and sure. having it being broadcasted and people listening and, you know, having a conversation with your doctor and so-called, you know, it's not real time, but you know, the, sort of a, a two-way conversation with your doctor through Alexa. Um, so what's your take on privacy? Because, you know, I've obviously some people are very concerned about it. Some people say, hey, look, there's no such thing as privacy anymore in today's, you know, computer <laughs> age. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, I'm glad you asked that question. I'm, I'm really fascinated with the privacy um, topic with voice language. In fact, I don't think I've written enough about it um, mm-hmm. at all in comparison to how interested I am in people's perceptions of privacy with these tools. At the panel at the Alexa conference in January, there was a panel exclusively on privacy. Mm-hmm. There was lots of opinions shared. Mm-hmm. Um, I asked the question, which was simple, and the question was this. Due to the convenience of voice tools, mm-hmm. just like the convenience with mobile phones, mm-hmm. do you honestly see people not engaging out of fear of losing their privacy? And the entire panel agreed that that wasn't the case, that people do give up privacy for convenience, especially in the short term, the acute sense. Sure. I know for myself, I've done that. In fact, there's no way for me to keep up with as many things that I probably have allowed to take data freely from me mm-hmm. and throw it into a base to be queried off of. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the United States, you know, the NSA <laughs> apparently has a profile on most citizens, you know, easily find that. I mean, um, I'm not some sort of conspiracist, but, you know, Edward Snowden talked about this, uh, and I'm certainly not uh, trying to uh, promote him as some sort of hero or or anti-hero. I'm just saying that as a fact. Um, But it hasn't stopped me from using email. It hasn't Mm -hmm. stopped me from speaking on my cell phone. Mm -hmm. It hasn't uh, made me wrap my cell phone up in foil while I drive around because I'm afraid of my GPS being tracked and somebody being able to discover my habits, whether they're nefarious or not. Um, so I think it's important. And I, 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 the analogy I use for privacy is what I, what I remember uh, learning in my physics and science classes in undergrad for every advance in science that humans think is the end Mm -hmm. atomic theory, 
microbiological research, um, DNA sequencing, splicing, and you know plasmid vectoring, uh, nuclear power. Mm-hmm. Humans have developed these amazing uh, systems to protect ourselves with. Hmm. You know, yeah. none of those things that were predicted to be the end were the end. Right. Right. Granted, there's been accidents, but we haven't ruined the entire race or our cultures as a function of these advances. I feel like voice tech is going to be the same. Interesting. You know, yep. uh, yeah, you know, on the same token that maybe a lot of things are going to be recorded, uh, there's a limited amount of human beings who can sift through the data <laughs> and yeah. even create algorithms and regressions automatically and even look at those results. I mean, you look at something like a Walmart, and they have the uh, what I would consider one of the most sophisticated uh, modeling tools for running regressions against everything that's in that store and who buys it and when it's sold. What's the weather pattern outside? Well, who's the who's the president? How old is this person? What was it next to? I mean, you're looking at betas in the hundreds or thousands. Huh. Wow. Um, and they still, you know, have banks and banks of data that they don't necessarily apply, but they could. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the same is going to be true for voice t- voice tech. Um, and I just don't think we should be terribly worried about it. Although as a citizen, as a involved citizen, you should always be critical sure. of what you're doing with that data. Um, but at some level, the advances and what the technology gives, gives us outweighs the risks, I think, of, of um, you know, someone using the data about you in a way that is problematic it will happen i mean it's gonna happen Some, someone will be able to ruin someone's political career or business career based on data they find on them on the back end of all these tools but um i think like many things people are probably a little bit more worried of the provocative things that can happen mm-hmm. uh, and they get that really every day is going to be um a series a succession of fair ones and really nothing horrible is going to occur end up being this really boring tech yep. like a computer that you do work on oh my voice tool eh, i gotta go talk to it <laughs> well that's an interesting perspective for sure i'm not scared by it really um but i do have some faith in humanity that we we're not gonna uh, totally ruin ourselves by the tech either <laughs> Well, I, I, you know, that's a very interesting perspective, and I, I think I, well, not I think I, I do tend to agree with with what you've just said. Um, very interesting question that you asked that panel. You know, is is the convenience worth the risks? And I, I tend to agree with you. I mean, I, I know I do it myself, right? I, I, that's why I've got the device in my home, and I'm not too concerned about what it's. You know, granted, I, I have a somewhat decent understanding of how it works and what it is actually recording or sending to the cloud. But nevertheless, it's there in my home. And I have relatives who refuse to put one of these in their home because they're concerned that it's going to hear every single thing that they say and they don't want it to do that. So. <laughs> but the, the same relatives have smartphones and also credit cards. That's right. Uh, and all that and maybe a Google account or a Yahoo account. <laughs> all of it's going into the same relational database and there's tools about them. Now, that leads me to an anecdote. Uh, yeah. When I was at Carnegie Mellon last year, there was a uh, student who had just finished his work and developed a really interesting uh, software for reading uh, mics out of uh, these uh, Alexas and Google Homes. Mm-hmm. So there's like seven mics, I think, per Echo Dot, for example. Mm-hmm. And they're pretty specific. They're actually pretty high tech. And this this guy had developed a software where he could diagnose the type of fridge you've had, 
um, water leaving your house, um, being able to uh, distinguish between um, a light being flicked on versus like something falling on the floor. Um, He could even say that you could uh, uh, build the software where you could um, know like the specificity of the density of a fluid going down a toilet, right? Which means you could read urine output, right? Like ostensibly you could say it recorded how many milliliters of urine output at what density and give you a sense of like their hydration levels maybe. I could distinguish between a bag of chips opening and a jar. Um, Imagine that for someone who has like a binge eating disorder, you know, like it comes back to your EMR at the office. Mm -hmm. Uh, This person's opening the fridge all night long and we hear chip bags being opened. So there's a great benefit to allowing these things to quote unquote always be on. So yeah, and and that's the same with any, so the same with anything. You know, there's if you're gonna take the you know if you're gonna take the, the the bad, there's also potential good, and if there's good, there's potential bad, and it's all about how like getting back to you know how is humanity going to choose to <laughs> use these devices? It's pretty a mm-hmm. uh, pretty philosophical uh, area here we're getting into, but uh, yeah, it does get a little bit um, what's the word uh, celestial. <laughs> yeah intangible sort of things you're talking about thought experiments but you know scientists i think are just uh, wonderful at doing that mm-hmm. um, and, the, and i think they have to to be able to do that yeah. uh, creatives do that too i don't just don't think they always know it yeah you know they're in their heads thinking about what are these possibilities what are people going to think when they see my creation um but um i think when you look at how people use these tools right now they're trying to figure out how to do how to use this besides turning my lights on and, off and getting the weather yeah we're really just at the crest. I mean, the, the wave is just starting to form. It's not even a crest yet. Excuse me. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's great. Well, I think I think that's a great place to to uh, to finish off here. Is there anything that you wanted to um, talk about, or anything else that we didn't get a chance to speak about that you think would be particularly useful to to the listeners here in Canada? Yeah, um, I'm looking forward to speaking with you at the Voice of Healthcare Summit in Boston. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that as well. Why don't you just tell listeners a little bit about it so they know the, know what the event's about? Yeah, your Canadian citizens uh, need to come join us in Boston and uh, listen to you and I, and also uh, have some clams and chowder. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, out in Boston. So yeah, so with the Voice of Healthcare uh, being put on by Voice First FM. Uh, That's right. Uh, Bradley Metrock and uh, his excellent team. Um, yeah. There's some great speakers lined up, yourself included. Um, yeah, and you. <laughs> thank you. Um, and it should be a lot of fun, and I'm really looking looking forward to that. And that's uh, August 7th. In, that's in correct. Boston. August 7th this fall. And Terry, I really appreciate you having me on tonight. Um, it's good to speak with you, and I hope that we continue to collaborate and talk about uh, these things. Maybe in a decade we can look back and, and laugh at our predictions. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. What things really are. Yeah, well, the, our, uh, with, the, with the podcast, this is now on record, and one day we'll be asking Alexa, what did we talk about back on uh, whatever date this is? And it'll, it'll make fun of us or, or maybe praise us for what we said. This malfunction smoke will start coming out of it. <laughs> could be, could be. <laughs> hey, before I let you go, tell the listeners where they can connect with you, where they can find more about what you're doing. Yeah, okay. Um, they can go to my – I have a website, Ionia, I-O-N-I-A dot C-O as well as Delion, D-E-L-I-A-N.co. I'm on Twitter, at Cybulski, C-Y-B-U-L-S-K-Y. You can also find me on LinkedIn. Awesome. Great. Well, thanks very much, Matt. Dr. Cybulski, for spending some time with, some time with me and with the listeners. Uh, 
great conversation. Very, very, a lot of fun. And uh, I'll look forward to having more conversation with you in Boston as well. So we'll do it up, Dr. Terry. Thank you, sir. All right. My pleasure. Take care. Thanks. Well, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that podcast as much as I enjoyed having that conversation with Matt. Uh, every time I hear him speak, I'm so impressed with what, what he has to say uh, and his opinions and his thoughts about this whole voice first space and, of course, specifically with healthcare. As he mentioned, I feel very privileged that uh, I get to share a stage with him at the Voice of Healthcare Summit in Boston, uh, which is taking place on August 7th, 2018. If you are at all interested in joining us at this summit, uh, it would be great to have some more Canadians there. And if you are interested in attending, uh, you can go to vohsummit.com. And if you use the coupon FISHER2018, F-I-S-H-E-R 2018, uh, you can get 20% off the uh, the cost of the summit, uh, courtesy of Voice First FM. So uh, once again, thanks for joining me. If you haven't had a chance to leave a review for the podcast, uh, of course, those are always very, very much appreciated and it helps the podcast to be found by other people who who might uh, enjoy the content here as well. Take care, have a great week, and I will talk to you again soon. She's got, she's got skills. skills.